Hello and welcome along to the RT Rugby Podcast, our final podcast of the season. We'll be taking a little break after this afternoon for our summer holidays, but we'll be back uh, sometime in July. We're going to be pretty certain looking ahead to the to the Rugby World Cup because there is a lot to get through. Johnny Holland is with me for this final part of the season. Johnny, thanks a million for joining us. Thanks for having me back. Well, yeah, thanks for thanks for coming back. We don't get you on the pod too much, but um, look, obviously, only one place to start on this uh this podcast, Cape Town Saturday evening, Munster finishing off the URC in style, nineteen fourteen winners against the Stormers, first title for the province since two thousand and eleven. Before we get into the the nitty gritty of the game, obviously some of those players involved were like old teammates of yourselves. I'm guessing. Would you even coach maybe a couple of the younger lads down in Corcon or something like that? But you know, you know quite a few of those people involved on a on a personal level. How happy were you as a as a former Munster player to finally see them get over the line? Yeah, I was delighted for them. Like, I mean, there's um there's a massive blend of fellas that you know there's only a couple of fellas hanging on. I'd say that I played with. Um, but oh, there's more. There's more than a couple. I mean, I you're talking. No, yeah, there's, like a, there's a good few. There's a good few. Uh, like the likes of um the older brigade, like Earlsy, uh. Pete, Archer, Murray, that crowd, but like the Scanners have been there quite a while as well. You know, there's there's a few of them that have that have had a lot of heartache, I suppose, in Munster, uh, the jersey, the semi-finals in Europe. You know, the 2017 final. I remember being at that. Um, 16, 17, wasn't it? So that was the, yeah. the start of the year I retired. So I was up at it. Um, but like you know, I don't think anyone thought it was going to go so far before they had had actually won any. Silverware. I mean, 2011. I remember watching that before I got involved. You know, so at a senior level. So like it was a, it was a long time ago. And um, but you know, there's um a lot of talk about like the the players that were coming through and a lot of monster potential. But like potential has to be, you know, it has to go to towards winning at some stage. Like, and I think that's the greatest thing for monster is that they're, you know, they've got such a good group of players coming through. You know, the spine of those younger fellas, Dermot Barron, um, you know, Hadnett, uh, Jack Crowley. Gavin Coombs, these fellas, there's loads more. You know, there's there's loads of them that are, you know, when you when you start looking at the older Munster teams, like you've got a halfback pairing of Casey and Crowley, you know, I don't want to make many comparisons, but you've got a back row that's really, really strong. You know, it's very easy to start making comparisons for, for like towards the, the last successful team as well, like, you know, but I think they're just in a really good place with the blend of uh, youth and experience that they have now as well. Yeah, and it's like, as you mentioned there with the likes of some of the, the younger players, but Obviously, like it's an old cliche, winning is a habit, but losing is also a habit as well. And if you're if you were the likes of, you know, Craig Casey, Gavin Coombs, John Hodden at those players who, while they're young, they're not they're not very young. You know, they're twenty four. Yeah. Gavin Coombs is twenty five. Um, for some of those players, if if they were to have gone another couple of years before, you know, a couple of years without winning a trophy, all of a sudden you're heading into that far side of the twenties and. Again, losing is a habit, but the good thing about it is now that for a lot of these young players, it is okay. I know a couple of them would have won with Ireland and stuff like that, but you know it's their first taste of of winning a trophy. I I was even down at the the homecoming on Monday. We were chatting to a couple of players, and like someone like Mike Haley, for example, who I think is about twenty eight, twenty nine now, he was saying this this is the first trophy he's won as a professional player, not just with Munster, but going back to his time in Sale as well. So. I think you could probably kind of forget the fact that for a lot of these players, it's it's a first taste of of winning a trophy since they were probably seventeen or eighteen in in schools or clubs. 
Yeah, but that's the thing. Like people don't realize how little you win as a professional player. You know, there's some players that you think they've all the, the accolades and all the trophies, and some of the the, the the internationals have them, and the Leinster internationals in particular have them. But there's there's probably a lot more people that go through a professional career without winning something. Like you know, Connacht won it in was that fifteen sixteen. Yeah. Um, uh, so like, have they won anything since? And have they been have they been close, or will they be close? For some lads, you can't see that. Like Jack Carty, maybe someone in the middle of that squad. You can't really see him winning a trophy with Connacht as it currently stands. I suppose we said that about Munster only six months ago, you know. So about Munster only about six weeks ago. Never yeah, mind. I, I said ago. it more recently, yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, you know, it's a, it's a massive tournament for those guys, and to get to get silverware as a professional player, I think it's a um a massive monkey off their back, I suppose, and it it can be a very successful career once you get the first one. Hopefully, they back it up with like I'm not saying they have to go back to back or anything, but I think from from their perspective, they will have a bit more confidence that they can go and actually play for the next ones with with less pressure now, you know. But I think it was more so even because it was such a barren run, like the the way they played to get there, I think was absolutely phenomenal. And like, yeah, we probably would have had questions definitely before Christmas, but plenty since Christmas as well. Like and the way they played against Leinster away from home to get the the final opportunity for Jack to kick that drop goal. Uh they did the exact same thing after Gavin Coombs got his block which uh, I'm not sure if they're still talking about it, but they should. Um, but he got his block down and, and they got the ball back. But if you see the rugby they played from there, you know, they didn't play within themselves. And I think that's the most pleasing thing. And maybe that's where Mike Prendergast and these guys are, are suddenly starting to be taken a lot more seriously, you know? Yeah, it's funny. And, and on the trial, like I, I was looking back at it there last night and it's remarkable. There's about three different spots during those phases of play before John Hodden scores in between the block and John Hodden at scoring, where it looks like Munster have either are about to knock on the ball or are about to lose it. And it's the it's the risk reward side of things. We saw that, you know, where the risk doesn't pays off in large parts in that game against Leinster, where they kept taking those risks and it wasn't working and they got the payoff eventually. They probably should have won by more, but the important thing was they got the payoff eventually. And crucially on Saturday as well, the payoff came eventually. And it probably is a, I think it's, it's nice to see a win for positive rugby, never mind just for Munster, but to, it's good to, it's nice to be able to show teams and show coaches that, you know what, Munster mightn't have the tight five to compete with a Toulouse or a La Rochelle, but they're not trying to make up for that by just retreating into their shells and just playing a territory-based game and picking off the occasional score when they can. They're playing to the strengths that they have, which is players now that are capable of coming in off wings and and finding space, players that are able to create space for each other, players that have good good ball skills that are able to move the move the ball on and 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 open up the hole somewhere else. So I I don't know, I think obviously we're both speaking I'm officially I'm neutral, but obviously people know I'm I'm from the province of Munster. You are a <laughs> former Munster player, so there's obviously uh, it's not the most impartial of podcasts, but at the same time, I would say for a lot of neutral people, people looking on, it probably is good to see a team playing attractive, positive rugby, getting the rewards. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think that's been the great strength of Ireland recently is that they they kind of tore up that playbook in terms of having to be the biggest front five or you know having the the biggest team on the pitch and moving teams around the place. You know, so I think the provinces have followed that. You know, they're all slightly different systems and everything else, and they've got different personnel and different cohesion and we might go into that in a minute of the Irish squad but like the the cohesion within a squad is important and I think Munster have gotten to a point now where you know they are suddenly competing with a brand of rugby that is actually very 
uh, nice to watch, you know. So um, it's it, it obviously is good for rugby, but it's good for, for Ireland in general. Like, I mean, I, I was in a funny position where as an ex-Munster player and supporter and all the rest of it and, you know, supposedly having no biases, but like I was actually shouting for Leinster in the, in the Euro- European Cup. Not that I've never shouted for them before, but like it was a weird one going all out thinking that, you know, not even from an Irish perspective, I just thought, you know, very good team, play a very good, attractive style of rugby and the players I thought deserved it uh, to get there eventually. But like, I, I'd hope that other Irish provinces, well, not that I really care to hope that either, but I think Irish people will um, see that it's it's beneficial for, for Irish rugby if there's someone else, you know, being successful first and foremost, but also, you know, breaking away from the monotony of, of Leinster being the only team we're talking about in a success, successful way. I think we nearly got there with Ulster. They were starting to do some really nice things at one stage, but obviously things went a bit uh, pear-shaped up there as well. Connacht, when Connacht won it, it was unbelievable. It was more like a, a Leicester City winning the Premier League, but like it was still, you know... Same year as well. I remember it was, you know, within yeah. a couple of weeks of each other, it was a, just a bizarre time in sport. A good sporting year. But like, it's, it's always good to break that up, you know, even as much as I like, you know, the front runner going and doing the business because I don't like them uh, in general in sport because I don't like them ever, um, you know, the pressure comes on, they're expected to win and, it's good to see that, you know, when it's deserved. But like, you also like to see someone who's not expected to do it. And Munster were not expected to do it. Like what they did on the, on the road in the last six weeks or so has been phenomenal. But doing it, in, like you said, in the way that they played away from home, sticking to the style of rugby, I think, you know, the coaches can be, it's probably going to be a very sweet one for coaches because of the way they did it in the end. You know, they didn't grind it out or, yeah, they went to the very end. But like the way they scored their tries or got their scores, I think it's... um. You know, it's going to be a pleasing one to, to transfer from a coach to the players and allowing them to stick with it and the players having the confidence to stick with it. That's the best part, I'd say, for them. Yeah, the coach, I was going to ask about the coaching there and like putting your own coaching hat on. It must be a fascinating to, to look and see how it all changed where it like they did in terms of a team, they are chalk and cheese to what they were 12 months ago. And we would have heard for quite a few months from Graham Rountree, Mike Prendergast, uh, Dennis Leamy and Andy Kiriakou about the, the changes that were made, not just to the game plan itself on the pitch, but what they were doing in training uh, all season as well, where they were bringing a real up-tempo to the, to the style of training, where there were less breaks. They wanted to see how players were reacting when they were mentally fatigued. And obviously you could see it in the first six, seven weeks of the season where the players were really, really struggling out there and eventually bit by bit it, it came along to the point where they now have kind of shown against Leinster and have shown against the Stormers and probably Glasgow as well that they're they're fitter now than a lot of the teams out there. But And as Mike Prendergast, we asked him as well on Monday night, you know, he said these were the days that he came back to, to Munster Ford to be able to walk out and bring a trophy out of Thoman Park and he did admit that these days have probably arrived a little bit earlier than he was than he and all of them were expecting as well. But purely from a coaching point of view and with your your own experiences of coaching, it must be interesting to see how they've how they've put that plan in place. Yeah, like I went up there last summer and saw that plan. Like they were telling us about it. We were able to preview their session, what they were going to do. And um, you know, obviously you're looking at the rugby that the players are playing and the, you know, the setup that they had and the drills and everything else. But I was just watching coaches for quite a while and they were breathless, like they were always on the go. Um, S&C staff, like support staff were there to facilitate them to get the highest pace into their session. And like, it's something that, you know, as a coach you take away from. Um, they have a load of time together during the week. We have a lot less at our level, but they still operate at that, at that pace. You know, it was something that we needed to try and start doing as well. Or it was a bit of an eye opener anyway. Um, 
So like I like the way they did that. Obviously, it took a lot of time to because that was before I think it was the week of one of the preseason games, and then some of the preseason games went well. Like they were one half went well, and the other half didn't. Like in in a sense, um, there was a bit of a comeback in Boulder and wasn't there. So like, um, you could see hints of it, but you couldn't really see it throughout. And like we've seen that from Munster before. They win a lot of league games, but when it really mattered, they didn't really get there. You know, so I think that's that's obviously very pleasing that they stuck with it when things got tough. Uh, and to be fair, like I think they were always saying that the belief was in the squad and everything else, even when people outside, even people like us that maybe should have had a bit more belief, didn't fully believe that they were going to get there. But the interesting thing for me is that there was a bit of a shake up in terms of selection at different stages. And like, you know, the easy and, and people from the outside called for it, you know, I'll get this fella in and get that fella in and just rip rip up the script and 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 whatever else. But like I think, you know, the confidence is the great Sorry to interrupt, but when when you're losing matches, it yeah. is it is bold to be sticking with some of those selection calls. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. But I think like, you know, the confidence of Jack Crowley will say, and I've obviously been vocal enough on him. He's a player that I've been lucky to coach as opposed to have coaching to that level. But like he's, um, he was just riding such a wave that it was inevitable. He was going to go in ahead of Joey. And like, I felt for Joey and I still do because he's, he's a great player and he's been through a lot. Um, But Jack just seemed to be, you know, it was inevitable that he'd get there. And I think the confidence that he brought into their game um, maybe even playing confidence like he hasn't had the setbacks that some other fellas have had and you know you leverage that likewise Craig Casey was the other one that I think that contrast is, is unbelievable from the coaching team because the easy one to do would be oh it's not really going well for us bring in past Zippy Craig Casey and throw the cat amongst the pigeons but actually they went back to the Conor Murray style at, at scrum half with the youth and confidence of Jack Crowley and everything else but he's brought so much control to his game as well that that blend really really worked and like Break him off the bench and added what 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 we know he's going to add. But like, I think if you saw kind of blind changes, like yeah, change a halfback pairing, they're the ones that are the young up and coming, and that's where we're going to go for the future. You know, fair enough. But like, they actually made better decisions than that. Kept Murray there and um and got Jack in there. I think it was and and used Jack at twelve as well. He was just he was playing a lot of rugby within that team for the last couple of weeks, and I think there's a a lot that he can be proud of as well. Like you know. Yeah, and on a few of those players, so Crowley and Shane Daly and, and Calvin Nash as well. Like We've spoken about how exciting some of the rugby it is that they're playing, but in the final, a lot of what they did to put themselves in good positions was the simple stuff really well, like kicking and chasing, which obviously was a big part of you know the, the previous regime, but maybe it was just too big a part of, of the game plan. But if you look at, back at the game against the Stormers, the amount of change they got from Connor Murray and Crowley and I think to be honest particularly Connor Murray I thought his kicking was if you're talking one specific game it was about as well as he's kicked in in a few years but just putting the balls into the right places and for some reason the Stormers were just offering themselves zero protection against the likes of Daly and Nash running up the wings and and contesting for those kicks and the amount of ball Munster won back off that put themselves in the position to attack so it goes back to the game plan of while it's exciting it's not just it's not just blindly swinging for the fences there's you know there's there's a lot of thought that's gone into it yeah and I think like you mentioned Calvin Ash he's you know I remember Calvin coming on the scene and he was young and exciting and he's had to go and reinvent himself a small bit to get back to where he is now and he's playing some unbelievable rugby you know so like you look at the kicks that Murray was putting up like Calvin just got into the air and got into the space. He didn't exactly win them all back uh, on, on his own, but like he got into the space and disrupted it and the ball broke and Munster won it back. You know, so he's and he's not just about chasing balls either. Like he can actually play a lot of rugby. He's very physical. Uh, that was one thing I was very impressed with him when he was uh, back inside an Irish camp and 
um, getting a bit of game time was how physical he got, you know, and I think that's really adding to his game. But like Shane Daly, another fella, obviously played at us and Con, played a lot at 13. Um, and you can see that in his game coming off the wing. He's very comfortable on the ball. You know, he's very comfortable taking fellas on. Uh, I remember bringing in a couple of plays where the 15 would run a kind of a tighter line back against it and get through what I would think is getting through gaps. And Shane was like, no, 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 <laughs> get the ball into my hands. I want to get on the outside. Like, you know, he's very comfortable getting on the outside like that, but also very comfortable with the ball in his hands and, and playing other people into space as well. Obviously, that ball back inside for, for John Hadnett, like, very easy for him to try and, you know, step like he does and get into the corner. But having the um, wherewithal, I suppose, to get the ball to someone else who's in a better space. And that's obviously the way Munster are training at the moment. Where's the space now? How do you get the ball there? You know, and it's it's fairly evident. But like, you know, he said yourself, it was, you know, they, they may they may have knocked on a ball. We could be talking about a very different thing. Knock on the ball there throughout that. And all of a sudden, Earlsey might retire without another trophy. Pete, you know, obviously very, very... um frustrated with the international success and nothing at his club so like to get over the line like that um, has changed the narrative altogether and you know hopefully those guys can leave that narrative behind them as well one of the one of the things Graham Rount you said before the match and one of the things you said after the match as well and it's completely true Munster just they don't do things the easy way there's just no, there's never anything straightforward about Munster whether they win or lose um like six away games to to finish off the season Four of them won. One of them was drawn, and and the first one of those uh, against the Sharks in the Champions Cup was beaten. And of that six games as well, four of them were in South Africa. Let alone just just being away from home. Uh, from home, as as a player, like can can you ever remember being on that stretch of a run of away games in a row? No, and you'd feel it as well. Like even even at club level here, you know, when you're on the road for a couple of games, you're delighted to get home. Like you know, so um, I don't remember having a time where I was away, you know, at any level to that degree. Um, but again, like, you know, if you look into the Andy Farrell kind of school of thought, is that what got them there? You know, that they were on the road so much, they just got used to it. And when the final was in South Africa, I'm sure they were shrugging their shoulders, like they didn't really care. Um, so like, you know, that's obviously the part that it's the most interesting part of the journey for the end of the year. But like, that's the part that got them over the line in the end of it. But like, it's interesting, you're on the road that long and you still have a guy like Stephen Archer who's putting in serious minutes, um, you know, at, at the tail end of his career. Not to insult him, but like the offloading, how he's changed his game in around the rock, the stuff that he was up to. Um, you know, he's a very fit guy that people don't don't realize he's a big man and he's he's very fit. If you do a running test, he's always able to do it. He's he's uh, a lot more capable than you know people look at. Oh, prop, not going to be fit, not going to be able to play ball. He absolutely can. Like, and I think he's shown that. So there's been really interesting case studies within how Munster have changed themselves in the last couple of months, weeks even, um, and who who stepped up. But he. He played a lot of minutes in the first, uh, in, in the last South African kind of back-to-back as well. Like, didn't he? Didn't, I don't know if he even came off. Maybe later yeah, on. So. Two, two 80 minutes in the... Yeah, yeah so that, like that's incredible for a guy. At, at, is he 35? I'm not sure. Um, yeah. So, like, at a, as a tight head prop, that's absolutely outrageous. You know, so, so people like that need a lot of... deserve a lot of credit as well, like. And then for a couple of players that I did want to mention as well, players that are leaving, like, I mean, Malachi Fekitoa, it it's been a bizarre season for him and it's probably his entire season has probably summed up Munster's entire season where like he was brought in, like he, he was a player that wasn't signed ultimately by these coaches. So that obviously is a bit of an awkward situation to start out with. And I would say by his own admission, like looked to be struggling for those first couple of months in a team that was struggling as well to, to be fair. 
then you hit a block by November where he wasn't even getting into match day 23s. Um, it was becoming fairly obvious that Munster weren't picking up the the option of his second year of on his on his contract. He gets his deal with Benetton, and I think we have probably seen down the years there have been plenty of players who've been in a situation like that who have probably down tools, put the feet up. They've got their contract sorted for next year. I'm all right, but since probably the end of January or even earlyish in January as well, he's been absolutely phenomenal to the point where, particularly in this playoff run that Munster have had, he's been uh, one of, if not their best players. Yeah, he's been class. And like I remember the preseason games when he came on, the the absolute excitement around him coming onto the pitch because obviously we know where, where he's come from, what he's you know what he's achieved and everything else. So like there was a huge excitement around him, and then I think. You know, I believe that he was just one of these guys that was going to get it. You know, he he looked like he tried his heart out around the contact and just worked great in that preseason game. It's like he was trying to impress, you know, the monster face because he knew what they were about. And if he got them on side, he was going to be a bit of a star. And I thought he'd be a legend of the club at that stage, like genuinely. Uh, and then to go through that patch uh, around Christmas time was obviously very difficult. But I remember speaking to Alex McHenry about him. Um, Alex spent time with him in Wasps and you know, was just saying how this was before he went through any selection struggle, but like Alex was just saying how good he is to the fellas around him and everything else and, you know, the amount that he gives back. Um, so it's not really a surprise when he's not downing tools by the end of the season and he's after turning a season around, like the hit on him was a Dean Ferry uh, out on out on the edge. Um, that's the kind of stuff that you're expecting from him, but also he's very strong in contact and he can get his hands free and everything else. But like, I think anyone who would know him closer and I, I don't know the man at all, but from the stories that I'm hearing, you know, he's not going to be someone that's just going to give up on it. I think he gets the whole culture of the club. And it's, it's disappointing to see him going. You know, obviously it's, uh, you know, after finishing on such a high, but it's good to, for someone like that to have, um, you know, such good memories of the club by the end of it as well. Yeah. So what are what are the areas Munster have to look at now so that they can turn this trophy into more trophies down the line? Like, where are the, where are the things that need to be tweaked? Like, they probably are... As Mike Prendergast said, they're probably ahead of schedule in terms of delivering what they'd set out to. But how do you make sure you you stay ahead of that curve? Well, it's difficult because they are going to get a bit of turnover. You know, we don't know what's happening with Keeter's Malachi Fekito has gone and orders replacements there. But like, you know, you're going to get some turnover. So the first thing you're going to have to do is, you know, make sure that that turnover doesn't affect the like what you've been building. But then as well, like like the coaches are saying, it is early and they're kind of I wouldn't like to say a transitional period, but in terms of them getting their own way around the squad, you know, you do expect year three to be the successful one and they're after doing it initially. So like the goalposts have now moved that they need to maybe not go back to back, but they can't be disappointing next year. And then there's a target on their back as well because now, now they're the champions, you know. So like it's um it's going to be very, very difficult. But I think if you kind of sit back and say, this is our style and go and play that way next year, everyone's going to know that by now. Like when you... It's hard because there's a European competition as well. But when you're the champions, um, people ad- adopt uh, or adapt their game to to beat your style as well. So like everyone's going to be do- wondering what they have to do to beat Munster next year. They'll still be wondering what they have to do to beat Leinster, obviously. But like now Munster are up there with if we don't beat Munster, they're going to win the league again. So like um, everyone's going to be looking to to take their game apart. So now the coaches, and I think that's the good part of 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 this coaching team is that they're. They're on the front foot. Um, they're very progressive, so they're going to have to be more progressive before the game catches up with them. What the coaches do have coming up, though, and it's something they didn't have last year, is a nice big long preseason to be able yeah. to really nail down 
any little things that need to be worked on. Like the, the URC season isn't starting up back up until the I think 21st, 22nd of October. So if you look back at the start of last season where they were kind of had to rush in some of their plans and they looked very, very rusty. Like it might be frustrating for the players having to wait that long to, to get a URC started because of the World Cup. But from a coaching point of view, I imagine someone like Mike Prendergast will only be delighted to have that much time on the on the training pitch with the players over the next few months. And trust now as well, like, isn't it? Because did they have they had the shortest preseason that I have ever heard of last year? I think they had two remote weeks and four four weeks together or something it's mad like that. It might might be just slightly longer than that, but I think they're, they're the numbers that were in my head. Um, so to try and get your game plan in place and everyone's looking at preseason games that look so frustrating. Um, no wonder they were. And some of the season was that frustrating. So like, yeah, you get time to actually go away and have a holiday as well, which is the first thing that they all deserve and need and get their thoughts together and you know, you need to get a bit of bite back after, even after winning. I know it's a bit easier once you've won it, but like getting your bite back to go a full season again, it's a long season and it's mentally, it takes its toll on you, you know. So um, being able to come into a preseason refreshed, I think is is going to be huge for these coaches and players. And then um, I'm sure for someone like Mike Prendergast, he wouldn't have had to buy too much trust from, from half the group. But like, you know, you still don't know the other half of the group. So like coming into preseason now and they're going, this is a, a winning attack coach, you know, we'll trust he could tell him to do anything. And I'd say they, they would do it during the summertime, you know, before they start challenging it again. Um, so to have that kind of, um, I, I think, you know, to be honest, the other side of that actually drives you in a way that you have to prove your game plan to your own players at times. But, you know, to be able to develop that game plan now with a little bit less pressure would be um, certainly welcome from a coaching perspective as well. And then just to find, finish up on us completely for next season, one big thing that's kind of gone under the radar over the last few weeks is having won the title now despite finishing fifth in the regular season it's a top seed Munster having the Champions Cup next season so presuming the top 14 goes the way we we assume it will no to lose in the pool stages next season you're not <laughs> yeah. going to be stuck with a La Rochelle or a Saracens or something like that there is a much better chance on paper, at least, that you can put yourselves into a position where you can have a bit of a deeper run in the Champions Cup next season as well. Yeah, and I think that's that's the part that like they had to get that league win. I know, you know, Munster fans and Munster people will say that they were still out to win the Champions Cup every year and everything else. Like, but it just doesn't work like that, I'm afraid. You know, you don't condition yourself to the level of winning just all of a sudden because you want to or because you brought in one or two players, you know. So like you know, there's a, there's a series of steps that you need to take to get back to that level and to earn the right to maybe go further in the competition. And then the further you go, you know, heads say they won't win it next year, but like you, it's still another step up. You know what I mean? So like, yes, the South African teams have been accounted for in the league, but like you still have uh, the French teams who are going to cause more trouble. So like getting a top, uh, a higher seed and uh, and getting a better chance at least of, of going further in the competition will you know, it just again, it's a vicious cycle of going further, isn't it? And and uh, you know, another league win, and and all of a sudden they're they're back at the top table of um the league at least, but in in Europe as well, which is where they want to be. Yeah, although I suppose Munster at the very least will probably point at themselves and say a top seed doesn't really, uh, doesn't really uh prove much or doesn't yeah. really guarantee you much heading into heading into a playoffs as we saw in the URC. We'll move on to the to the Irish squad because the, the World Cup training squad was announced yesterday by Ireland head coach Andy Farrell a 42 man squad we thought it might be 45 that's what what we were hearing last week but it's 42 players squad is going to assemble on the 19th of June so you're talking two and a half weeks away it's not uh, it's not 
not too uh, not too long coming around. Friendlies in July against Italy, England, and Samoa, and then the squad or in in August, I should say, those friendlies, and then the squad is whittled down to thirty three for the tournament itself. The I suppose one one reassuring thing when you're looking at that squad, Johnny, is like it, it looks a pretty good squad. I don't think you could argue against many of the players there. We might talk about the players who missed out in a little in a little bit, but to look at the, the players who were there, it is hard to look at that and say it's it's hard to look at that and pick for definite nine players that are gonna have to come off that list. Very hard, because um you're talking about players and you will in a while that have missed out on the 42 and people are saying that they should definitely be in it. But then you're looking at the squad as, as it is. There's nine more. There'll, be, there'll be people saying these players who've missed out on the 42 should be in the 33. That's, yeah. that's how tough it is in places. Yeah, the, the nine. I was looking through it this morning. And even going by position, like you might drop a hooker out of there. Well, you will actually. Um, You'll go with three, won't you? And yeah. Making sure that one more is uh, prepared to, to join them if they have to. Um, Between the second row and the back row, I'd say you lose three. Um, Ryan Baird being put down as a hybrid was an interesting one because I think we all expect a couple of hybrids anyway, as it is, you know, whether it's Gavin Coombs or uh, obviously Mike Byrne is a clear hybrid as well. Like, why isn't he put down as a hybrid if uh, if Ryan Baird is? But like, I think between all of that, with Joe McCarthy, Treadwell, uh, Coombs, Kian Prendergast, you could lose three of them and every one of them will be, there'll be a reaction to say that they should be in there, you know? So like, never mind John Klein outside of it um, and everything else. But like, even when you look through positionally and, and think who's going to miss out here, if, like it, it's very, very hard. They've already gone pretty tight with one out and out full back, one out, one out and out uh, poacher, I suppose, and one out and out seven. So like even at that, it's quite tight. So I don't know. You could look through it and kind of rationally say there's seven positions that need to come out. Who they are is a different story. And then where are the other two coming from? I think, you know, uh, Kieran Frawley could lose out or Jack Crowley, which is mad, you know? So like, one of them is probably going to miss out unless he goes for a complete hybrid again. But he's not going to go for two hybrids, you know. So, um, very difficult to see. There's a nine will come out, but it's very difficult to see how how the nine players are going to come out of that without uh, uproar. Yeah, it's like it's a funny situation. I you always see like when these squads are announced, where someone says, "Oh, you know, it's 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 a disgrace or it's it's brutal that player X isn't included," and I always feel like kind of saying, "Well, like." If you're going to say that, tell me at least who you're taking out of the party that's there to make room yeah. for him. Because, you know, there are arguments for, for so many of these players. And and even there's arguments over multiple players who missed out. Like, obviously, one of the big ones we'll talk about now, just off the back of his recent form, at the very least, John Hodness is a player that a lot of people were hoping to see sneak in there and make a late run. And, and like, don't get me wrong, John Hodness has been absolutely brilliant for a good few months now. And I think by next season, we'll start seeing him in Irish squads. But at the same time, I'm sure Nick Timoney is sitting out there going, sorry guys, don't forget about me. Like I've won three (laughs) Irish caps in the last 12 months. And he's a player who has absolutely delivered on all three of those appearances. And he's barely even being mentioned as someone who's unlucky to miss out just off the back of, of Ulster's difficult season. So, I mean, there's so many tight calls. The only the only other thing you could say is maybe just make it a 45-man squad and include a couple of other players. But ultimately, this this thing still needs to come down to 33 in about six or eight yeah. weeks. But I think even making a 45, like obviously there's been a plan in place. And like you think about logistics of training numbers and how many people are be standing around and what, what like what does that take away uh, out of your kind of work rate around the session and the, the environment and everything else. There's loads of different things that go on here that I'm sure they're after thinking through and they're not just not bringing 45 for no reason. Or, you know, even with John Hodnett, 
I think he's had obviously a very good season, but like, you know, it's the hype is created in the last two games, you know. So like if a fella has a very fast peak, I'm not saying he will, but there can be a fast decline as well. And you're not gonna pick a squad based on who wins the final. You know what I mean? Like there's there's so much more goes into it. You'd love to, but like I think you're you're dead right there. Like who comes out if John Hodnick comes in? And like people are still talking about Scott Penny and who comes out like it's going to be absolutely impossible so like and, and besides that anyway you know there's a lot of a lot of you know you don't want to go into three warm-up games trying to get someone up to speed and you know if you've ever coached or been involved in teams at all uh, a couple of people who are getting up to speed with a game plan can absolutely affect how you go like you might win games and stuff like that but you won't get to the same level you won't be humming like you'd like to be so like if they're going to analyze their preseason games or if they're going to work on certain combinations, you can't have more variables going in there that you're unsure about. So, like, I think, you know, this squad was picked in the Six Nations like it wasn't picked the other day. Um, you might have had a couple of variables and a couple of a couple of fellas in the 42. Uh, but, like, Andy Farrell has said that it's not going to be a 33-man squad. You're going to need more going to a World Cup. Luckily, it's close enough that you'll be able to get them there without having to have them or fly them across halfway across the world. So, they'll, they'll be able to pick it up fairly quickly. So, I think there's... I think there's a little bit of maths on 42 versus 45, but bringing a fella in out of the cold and expecting him to get up to the speed of things and to get the same level of feeling around that success and what has happened and the story that's been told in the last two years, you know, anyone who's in there has been part of that story as well. Like, So even like to follow up on that, would you even say that if we're talking about factor in the couple of uh, down weeks the squad are going to have in this training camp, you're talking six to eight weeks, is, is that still too short of a period, would you say, for, for a World Cup to be bringing someone in out of the cold that you haven't really looked at over the last few years? No, I think there's a case to be made for some of them, like, to be fair. You know, you're not, you can't just not bring someone in. But, like, I think overall, you're, you know, there's a case to be made for, for for many people, like even Antoine Frisch. I think if there's going to be a direct replacement for Gary Ringrose, you know, I don't even want to say it out loud, but, like, if, if he's not going to play... GCP plays not not so similarly but like he's the same kind of style in one sense I always get kind of com- comparisons on my own head um, with two of them they're not huge guys I suppose in the middle of the field but like you can't just bring in six or seven fellas different to what you've had before and expect them all to get up to the same pace but you could make the argument for that you know so like uh, if you had I think John Klein is the biggest one because he's he's a bit of an enforcer inside in your pack like you look at what he does in mall defence and uh, in his defence in general but also like I think his, his attack is probably what's going to let him down. He doesn't have the handling maybe as what the other fellas have. But like, um, so you need to be a really rounded player to get into an Andy Farrell squad. You know, I think that's that that's part of it. Um, you could make the argument for for him going in ahead of Joe McCarthy or Kieran Treadwell. But like, again, they've been in there. They know the crack. They're they're still very good ball players for the position they're playing in. Um, everyone has strengths and weaknesses. So you could you could make the argument for two players to go in there I think but like they're still going to come back out anyway with the, the 33 man thing like you know so you know we can talk about it but they're not going to get there at the end of the day yeah is it a case really that if you're going to be timing your run that the time to be making that run was leading up to New Zealand last year or leading up to November where you had you had the A games and you had the enlarged squad where <clears throat> where Farrell was kind of looking at maybe up to 60 players at a time between the the A team and the, and just a larger extended squad that it was unlikely he was going to be making changes based off a strong finish to this season. Yeah, like you look at, you know, Calvin Ash, Gavin Coombs, Keane Prendergast, they're the ones who made that run for the, the extended panel, like they made the extended squad. Um, and they've done that really well. But then you look at New Zealand, it's probably a little bit too early because things have changed since then. Like James Hume's not even in the picture. Um, Balakoon, Lowry. 
Yeah, exactly. And also some fellas who are in a really good position in New Zealand aren't in a position at all. And they would probably going back to their club form. And unfortunately, that's let them down. But like, you know, that was probably an early run. But some fellas have kind of stayed in the mix from that uh, kind of A game and everything else. But the, the Six Nations, like if you look at, again, I'm going to, my biases are really showing, but like Jack Crowley's peak came through as Six Nations and getting a bit of availability there. And all of a sudden, a bit of club form gets into it. So like, the run was probably since Christmas where you could really put a marker down. Now things have fall your way as well, like with other fellas in your position and um, a little bit of availability and everything else. Like, But some fellas have definitely gone out of it from New Zealand and into it since Christmas, you know. So I think you're not really going to make a run from the Six Nations to to now, I don't think, um, unless I'm missing someone in the squad there. But like it might be the outlier, but not, there's not going to be wholesale change between that. You, you hinted at it a little bit earlier on and with... So you have Johnny Sexton, Jack Crowley, Ross Byrne, Kieran Frawley. I think the the logic is that if you're talking out half succession, it's Johnny Sexton and then Crowley and Byrne are level or one's ahead of the other. It that that part of it is irrelevant for now. I'm kind of talking about bringing Kieran Frawley into it, where if you're working off the constraints of a 33 man squad, do you think it's it's potential that we could see one of Crowley or Byrne miss out at the expense of, of Frawley, who is covering across positions. Crowley obviously offers that as well, where he's played at out half and, and centre and at full back for Munster as well. I mean, all of a sudden, is Ross Byrne looking like the one who might be in danger? I don't think so. I'm, run, I'm literally running through this in my yeah. head. I hadn't actually noted that one down. It was just when you said it, I'm running through the options in my head. Yeah, I think when you're looking at it, it's a specialist position. You're going to have to have someone that has run the team as well before. So, like, I can't see how it isn't Johnny Sexton, Ross Byrne, Jack Crowley, and whatever order you want. I can't see how it isn't that. With unfortunately, Karen Frawley's time in green hasn't been great through injury, you know. So, like, I don't know how he's going to run the team. If you know, if if things go your way, you bring him because you don't need him to play at ten. But like, if you absolutely need him to play at ten. I, yeah, he'll, he'll he'll probably do the job depending on the opposition. But it, yeah, so if if you need him to play a ten, is the alternative just bring someone who has consistently played a ten? Exactly, that's what I'm saying. So like that's yeah. where the other three probably go, and I don't know if he goes. I just think I think things have gone against him. Obviously, there's um you know there's a bit of love for Kieran Frawley inside in the Irish camp because he always gets back in despite when he may or may not have played. And I think that's right. I think he's a very good player. I remember seeing him since his AIL days. Like he's, he, even when he put on a 13 jersey recently, didn't he? And I was, uh, I was surprised mm. at that. But he was very good. He's a very good ball player and he can play across the back lane. So like, um, you know, I, I can see why, but like I think the chips haven't fallen his way uh, this year. And, and that's the reason I think why he's going he's gonna to lose out. Like I think as well, you know, Jack and the last two games has really shown that he can be a match winner but at the end of the day, you know, they have a lot of work done in camp. I think the big thing for us is that we just don't know. We can speculate and we can, you know, you can you can say that he needs to bring these three because these this is the reasoning. But Andy Farrell, who obviously knows a lot more than us, would say, well, there's a difference in a in a tournament that I've been to or I've coached at or I've done this and that at. You know, we need to cover different positions. And you take a risk in every situation. You're going to take some form of a risk. And like we, we've seen with Mac Hansen, we don't know who's going to train across the summertime. So we might get a squad, but I don't think you're going to get the same. Uh, I don't think you're going to get just a nailed on starting team. Someone's going to be a little bit of a bolter within that, whether it's Ryan Baird or I don't know. Like, I think he's someone who could do that. 
Um, but you're going to get someone who's going to train the house down and just peak at a different time throughout the summertime and can't be ignored. Like, And then the, the other part of it is as well, like we can talk about this for the next eight weeks or so, but as pretty much every World Cup has shown us down the years, there's always a big injury in the yeah. warm-up games. There is always one, there's always one incredibly unfortunate player who is generally regarded as being nailed on to make the make the final squad who's going to come up with an injury that's going to put them out and all of a sudden everything we've spoken about for the last few weeks is, has just been flipped over. Yeah, unfortunately that is part of it. I don't want to engage in this conversation. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, 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 it's the awful, it is the awful reality of... Yeah. It is though, sports, it is. It? And like I, I think... Everyone remembers who played at the World Cup, but no one remembers why. Like you know, yeah. so there's there's a reason why someone gets in, and no one remembers why they got in. They just remember how they did when they got there. You know, so um, there will be something that will uh flip everything on its head at some stage. You know, hopefully it's not anyone actually, but you know, the core of the team as well. But um, that's where people get their opportunity. So like again, there's a forty-two man squad for a reason. Um, I think you're going to use forty of them like eventually, and one or two more just in case. You know, so. Um, they're obviously covering all all areas with that, but it's uh it's going to be intriguing to watch. Um, I suppose the matches as well, but like even going into those matches, you know, someone like for example Calvin Ash um would play really well, but just not well enough to get, you know, someone who's been there for you know fifty caps out of the team. It's just I don't know what the situation is. Even if you play really well, will you say, you know, if it's a warm up game or? You know, we might think he played really well with two tries in a certain game and it might have been a bit of backfield cover you can't see off camera or something that we don't see, the coaches will see, or they put a lot of um mass in as a coaching group and we're not going to be able to see it like, you know. Um so it's it's gonna be interesting. I wouldn't like to be making the decisions because the stronger you get, the harder the the the, the conversations become. Like is Craig Casey nailed on ahead of Craig and Blaze? I don't see why he would be, you know. So um as much as, you know, our biases are on the podcast. Again, like he's played as a fellow who's playing out of his skin, you know. So, like, I think again, you get blinded by what what has happened in the last couple of weeks. But he's a starter for Connacht, and uh, and he's a, an experienced leader within their team as well. So that counts for a lot when you go to a tournament when you're trying to keep your head on your shoulders. Obviously, Craig Casey is. Uh, I don't think there's any fear in that man. Um, no fear of a point either in the last couple of days, but it looks a bit. But uh, you know, and a lot of a lot of personality, like, uh, is what I'm getting at. Um, but you know it's, they're going to be very hard decisions like how do you tell any of those two that they're not going yeah Fine, final point on the, the squad before we start wrapping up the the way the season has panned out has obviously turned out a lot different to the way we thought it would a few months ago has the way Leinster struggled or not so much struggled because they were excellent for large parts but, but the way Leinster gave up that Champions Cup final and the way they tapered off against Munster I know it was the second string team as well but the way that season has tapered off and just given the the heavy population of Leinster players in the Irish squad it's hard not to look at one without looking at the other but has that kind of made you feel a little bit different or a, a bit more apprehensive about the World Cup or are we still talking about two very very different things they're not that different are they um, I don't know like I'd like to know how they separate they're two different rugby styles, but I do think it's uh I don't like that fact either. You know, like the the way they kind of yeah, they, maybe the players aren't there. Even put Johnny Sexton into the um the European final and they'll probably get over the line and we're not we're not even talking about it and he'll be in the Irish squad hopefully. So um 
they can be very different things, but they can be very similar as well. Like if I'm if you were Leo Cullen and you were seven at seventy five minutes, you were winning against Munster with a mall in their twenty two. You wouldn't dream of giving up that lead ever across the whole season and across the last couple of seasons. You're probably going put the last nail in their coffin and get onto a final, you know. So like going seventeen and up in a final, they're the ones who had the the sixteen point comeback, wasn't it? So like they're they're massive outliers in one sense, and it just all came crumbling in in one season in, in a couple of weeks. Um, so it's very hard to read into it, but like I would read into it to a degree. I wouldn't like to be in Leinster camp now, starting to uh, starting to question yourself, and then all of a sudden there's a a sense of desperation comes into it, and uh, like when is going, when is their next win going to be? When will they get over the line? Will Johnny Sexton have more silverware in an Irish jersey? You know these kind of things, and does that desperation creep into your game then as a result? But you know the Irish management coaches have been very good at separating these things all together. So who even knows? Is the is the flip side of it? Obviously, the the flip side of that question is it that if you're Razzy Erasmus or you're Gregor Townsend, have your ears pricked up a little in the last couple of weeks? Yes, mentally, you think you, you think mentally some of those players haven't gotten over the line. But then the other side to that is the mental game is two sided, isn't it? Our Irish players going to go and train harder over the summer, or the Leinster players are they going to get a reaction that way and know that they have to go and um and perform differently or know that the targets on their back maybe the targets aren't on their back anymore maybe people think that they're a little bit weaker than they are you know so like the psychology of sport is very interesting because you know you always say oh they're missing someone i think we're on top now and they'll be saying we're missing someone we all need to get together and and kind of fill the gap it's very 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 hard to um the same with the away venue for a final like Munster have done you know will it hinder them or will they get closer together through the travel and everything else so it's uh it's impossible to tell but um i think if you're the other international coaches, you wouldn't be um, you wouldn't be too, too disappointed with Leinster not winning any silverware this year. I think they'll they'll think that they're on top anyway. Yeah, it's um, it's funny. On one hand, you're talking about a tournament in three and a half months' time that that feels like it's that feels like it's happening next week. Like it feels like it's right on right in the doorstep. But at the same time, there is an entire summer of training and managing injuries to go through. So look, we'll we'll put a pin in that one. And we'll come back to it a little bit closer to the time. Um, to fo- to wrap up, when's when's Corkon preseason training getting back underway? Jesus, we wouldn't like to let you in on any of our secrets. Now we go <laughs> we go back in July sometime. Uh, I need to finalize a few things, but um, yeah, it doesn't. Coaches don't get time off. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, still a hard part of the year. But uh, no, sometime start of July we'll get back at it. I know you were disappointed to lose in the in the semi final, but it it looked. Certainly, from the the broad strokes, from what I saw, anyway, like it was a quite a promising season. Like you have a young squad there, and you'll be you'll be hoping to kick on even further next year. Yeah, absolutely. Like I mean, people within, I'd say, even within our squad, didn't weren't sure about how far we might go or how dominant we might be at certain stages of the year. So, like, I think we made good strides, and I think the core, the fellas that came in, um, you know, Billy Scannell, Jack Crowley, George Coomber, these kind of guys, um. There's a core there that I think have changed a little bit about us, you know, that we can build on in a sense. So it's good. But like even in the semi-final away from home, if you can make that semi-final a home semi-final, obviously that makes things a little bit easier. And uh, despite what we've just said about Munster, but um, and then on even on that we didn't take chances in the semi-final. So like there's fine margins, but you know we we were probably it was a, a fair result at the end of the day. But we'll uh, hopefully build on it and take with a confidence from what we've done. Yeah, I hope I'm not making a big assumption here now, but you're. I, I presume you're not thinking you're going to get to see much of Jack Crowley next season. 
I don't want to see him at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the, the conversation. It would be, it, it's it, it wouldn't be a great sign for Jack Crowley if if he no. was playing much with uh, with G next season, would it? It's deep decline. The thing about Jack Crowley is if he was if he had two weeks holidays, he'd nearly ask you, can you play or go kicking or something like. So I wouldn't put it past him in that sense. But he's not going to be allowed to. Um, but yeah, the conversation is always, you know, if we if we see you, delighted to have you. Um, I hope I never see you again. You know that kind of way. So, but I don't think we're seeing that guy ever again anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, might come out of retirement, play a bit of J twos or something like that. And the back end, maybe 15, the back 16 end. Sixteen yeah. more years. Listen, <laughs> yeah. Johnny. Thanks a million for joining us on the pod as always, and uh, enjoy the rest of the summer. And thanks for everyone for listening out over the last uh, what eight nine months as well. It's been great doing these podcasts, and we should be back up and running after a little bit of a holiday in July. We'll speak to you again soon.